Do you remember when Mike Bowers called in? Hi, this is Mike Bowers, also known as Restless on the Boards and Forums. Um, occasionally, I think about getting back into role-playing. Um, I've been hanging around the OSR since 2007, but I haven't been playing, and that's because I really want to play an older game. Um, the problem is finding players, pitching it to people. A lot of people only want to play the newest, shiniest, um, as you mentioned on... Uh, your segment on the Mega Dungeons podcast, you don't find that with kids, but really I would rather play with adults, and unfortunately, active role players seem to have found that they like the newer games, and I'm not sure exactly what I should do about that. Um, I'm not flexible. I tried 5e. I did not like it. Any ideas? Thanks. Welcome back to Roleplay Rescue. I'm your host, Che Webster. I got into creating a podcast because I wanted to create a community of discovery in which people could find acceptance. What I mean is that Roleplay Rescue is my attempt to create a new community in which we discover how to take back our roleplaying hobby and make it fun for everyone. I want to call people back to the table with the funny looking dice and, and get their friends to roll those dice with them. A big part of my mission is to connect with gamers who are looking for a way back and give them practical routes to the table. When Mike called in with that question, I was blown away. I made a fumbling first stab at answering it, but I always knew I need to circle back to the heart of the problem. Why won't people give an old, tried and tested game system a go? I am on record as describing 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons as being, quote, not a perfect game, but it's a damn good one, end quote. I'll stick a link to the article in the show notes by way of evidence. I was an early adopter back in 2014, and I've been both a GM and player with the system. It was my go-to for setting up the school gaming club, and I persuaded all my Friday nighters to upgrade to the system. In spite of being really cautious after our abortive experiences with 4th edition, which, again, is an okay game but wasn't in our style, in spite of that, we moved to 5th edition, We stopped because, as GM, I got distracted by my journey back into older games and, in my opinion, also some better games. I also want to emphasise that I am continually buying new games. I have bought into the latest edition of RuneQuest, for example. I have moved to 7th edition Call of Cthulhu without hesitation. I supported the recent Kickstarter for Savage Worlds Adventure Edition. I am not against the new and shiny shiny. I am just as susceptible to the temptations of the new. As I see it, the problem with players not wanting to change to older games has three major factors. First of all, there's the shiny object effect. People are generally more easily drawn to new and shiny things and tend to easily forget the value of that which already exists. This is known as the appeal to novelty and is a logical fallacy. This psychological effect is the bane of my life. Salespeople love me. I'm the guy who coos and grins as I walk around the shiny latest model of a car or gets excited about the latest edition of a book and who frequently buys games simply because they are new. It's a big part of the reason why I'm not independently wealthy. I'm told that I never really learned to delay gratification as a kid. In practical terms, 
Many gamers are playing Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition because they perceive it to be the latest edition and they consequently assume it must be the best edition of the game. If you add in the huge success and popularity of the 5th edition, the much vaunted appeal to widespread belief or the bandwagon argument, it's easy to see why folk like the game. Success breeds success, some say. Most people assume that if lots of others like it, they'll like it too. Secondly, and generally speaking, the latest edition of existing and established games works just fine. The problem here is that we're very good at assuming that because something works, there isn't a better alternative to be considered. I face this a lot at work. I might like to experiment with some approach to teaching, even an approach that is long established and well supported by the evidence. But my colleagues will dismiss the suggestion because what we already do works well enough. If a game works and people are having fun, why would I consider playing a different game? Playing a different game might involve the effort of learning something. It might also involve me not winning for a while, especially during the learning phase. And people often throw in the assertion that there's lots of cool material being made all the time for the latest game. They are forgetting, of course, that most games have a host of support material that was made in the past, and a lot of that works well too. The third big issue in role-playing games has been a general trend towards a belief in two related ideas. Many gamers have come to believe that the modern focus on telling a story is a superior form of play. Secondly, and this is especially true of American gamers, players have become enamoured of their power fantasies. On telling stories, we have a divide between players who want to be entertained by the wit and charm of their GM and those who want to be entertained by a good game. Some players assume that it's the role of the GM to spin the tale, to storytell, and the role of the player to be entertained. This makes of some pretty passive gamers. If we layer onto this bias the misconception that in the olden days people used to just play dungeons and that dungeon games are just about hack and slash treasure hunting, we are going to face resistance when we suggest playing an old style dungeon game. Of course, the misconception is just that, a misconception. Yes, dungeon games were a big part of the original game. They remain an appealing game structure for the discerning GM too, but not because they are simplistic hack and slash games. Oh no, you can have a great deal of factional politics and complex interaction in a dungeon. In fact, the older games tend to de-emphasise combat as a part of the game. My school gaming group, for example, have rapidly begun to refuse fights and try to evade monsters while playing BX. That's simply due to the hard nature of the battle rules and the high attrition rate. It's much more efficient to bypass the monsters and steal their treasure in more clever ways. On power fantasies, I'm going to quote from Robin Laws' 2005 publication, Robin's Laws of Good Game Mastering. Quote, the vast majority of successful role-playing games are power fantasies. They give players the chance to play characters vastly more competent than themselves, or, for that matter, anyone else in the world as we know it. In power fantasy, PCs always have a good chance of vanquishing their foes. In some games, players can even assume that their enemies will be conveniently distributed by threat level. The power fantasy lies at the very heart of the adventure genre, in books and movies as well as in games. It offers a generally optimistic view of life. There's no shame in enjoying this fantasy, and GMs who embrace and understand it tend to keep players longer than those who don't, end quote. Elsewhere, in a sidebar, Laws muses that, quote, One of my pet theories about the popularity of role-playing games goes like this. 
Role-playing is fantasy shopping for guys. That is, men would, as a group, be more interested in shopping if A. It meant never having to leave the house, and B. They were shopping for superpowers. In that sense, the typical role-playing rulebook is like a Neiman Marcus catalogue for superpowers. Depending on the game system and character type, these extraordinary abilities might be called feats, spells, shticks, disciplines, skills, high-tech gear, psionics, or whatever. For lack of a better, all-compassing term, I refer to these things as crunchy bits. Players who dig crunchy bits can not only have fun at gaming sessions, but also enjoy rulebooks at their leisure, paging through them in shivery anticipation of powers to come. It's no secret that the best-selling game supplements are collections of additional crunchy bits. Dungeons & Dragons is a classic crunchy bits game, doling out coveted powers on a punctuated schedule that would make B.F. Skinner proud. Skinner was a psychologist whose pioneering studies examined the impact of rewards and other external stimuli on behaviour. He found that rewards that occurred every so often were more likely to encourage a desired behaviour than those doled out constantly and consistently. Though the power gamer is the purest exponent of the love of crunchy bits, even the most dedicated method actor or storyteller can secretly lust for them in his heart. They allow us to fantasise about flying even after we're too old to run around the house with red towels tied around our necks. End quote. Stereotyping aside, Laws is pretty accurate when he goes on to suggest that the American market, in particular, is prone to this desire for power fantasy. We Brits, he muses, are much more suspicious of power. I'm not convinced of that, as my mate Ian can lust over the crunchy bits just as intensely as the next guy. As games have evolved, the designers have trended towards greater and more intense power fantasy fulfilment. Compare a Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition wizard with the magic user of BX. That wizard will have three use-when-you-like cantrip spells, including a 1d10 damage firebolt that I've yet to see a player not take, and two level 1 spells. On top of that, the wizard will recover the use of one of those two spells when he takes a one-hour short rest. The BX magic user has one first level spell that they can cast once per day. Oh, and a dagger. We could spend time comparing all the classes to the same result. The designers of D&D have even admitted that people prefer a game where they hit more often in combat. Thus, the designers opted to lower armour class and make it easier to hit monsters. Those monsters have a few more hit points, so they feel about as tough as they used to, but the player gets the satisfying experience of hitting the monster more often. And there is nothing wrong with this. Remember, I don't believe there is a one true way to play D&D or any other role-playing game. What I am saying, however, is that when you ask a player to go from 5e to BX, it's a lot like asking a junkie to go cold turkey. It's going to be a tough and painful adjustment in power levels. Thus, my friend who wants to get modern, established players to play an older game, he's up against some pretty big objections. What's wrong with 5th edition? It's a pretty good game and we're having fun. Did I tell you about when my fighter crushed 30 goblins single-handedly? Old school games are just dungeon bashes and there's not even enough detail in the rules to make the fights interesting. It'll be boring. I prefer a game where I can come up with a rich, detailed character. I want a cool story, not a dungeon crawl with cardboard cutouts. So many people are playing 5e, come on, you really should just join in. You'll have more games and meet more people that way. Come on, D&D 5e sells so well, it must be a cool game. And there's loads more cool material to draw on if you're a GM. Yeah, good luck with that.
How do you get an established gamer to play older games? First of all, you have to recognise that you're not going to easily win an argument with such a player. You have to instead find a way to get some players to try something without making the act of trying something older a big deal. Whether you're playing in an established group or starting off with a group from scratch, I think the key to winning this lies in making an offer. In short, offer to GM. Set up a one-shot in your favourite game, invite some people to come and join in, and then bring your best one-shot to the table. Let's try to break that down. Step 1. Offer to GM. Set up a one-off game, short and simple, with no commitment needed. The emphasis here is that you are running, if you allow the analogy, a taste test. This should not be a big commitment and there should absolutely be no mention of campaigns. Just invite some players to come and try it. Right now, I know you're thinking, yeah, but they're going to ask what we're playing, I'll tell them it's an older game, and they will just reject it. And you'd be right if that's all you do. Step two is critical. Step two, set up the game as an open table. Think of it as kicking the ball around rather than major league football, or soccer if you're an American. Your first games need to be organised and played like they were back when we were younger. Let me quote from the Alexandrian's post opening your gaming table. Quote, The ballpark sport analogy is actually rather apt because what I've realised is that my schedule wasn't the only thing that's changed over the years. I fundamentally changed the way I play role-playing games. And while I did it for all the right reasons, I'm pretty sure now that I threw the baby out with the bathwater. To understand what I mean... Let me cast your thoughts back to that time when I used to game all the time. Lunch hour, or any other snatch of free time, would roll around and we'd pull out our D&D manuals and our character sheets. One of us would volunteer to DM, and that guy would grab whatever dungeon he was currently working on, or had just read through, and we would start playing. Eventually, lunch hour would come to an end, and we'd pack up our things, and the next time we played, we'd either continue exploring that same dungeon, or we'd start exploring some other dungeon, possibly with a completely different DM. Maybe we'd use the same characters, maybe we'd have rolled up a new character or feel in the mood to play somebody else from our stable. Whatever worked, we did it. Compare and contrast with the way my regular gaming group plays. At the beginning of each month, I send out an email listing the best days that I'm free this month for gaming. I wait for everybody to reply back. Hopefully a couple of those days will be free for all of us, But if they don't, then I'll go to the second best dates and start wrangling. Eventually, we'll have a couple of days scheduled. But if a conflict comes up, then we'll need to cancel that session. Other groups may have a larger tolerance for handling one or two missing PCs, but I don't think I'm in error when I say that this is the way most people play RPGs now. British listeners will understand what I mean when I say that you don't get a kid into playing football by teaching them the intricacies of the beautiful game all at once. You don't dump a toddling kid into a full 11-man team. No, you get them to kick the ball about a bit. In America, I believe the analogy is playing catch as a way to learning baseball. Hopefully you get my point. Look, if you want to become a valued GM who can dictate what game system you get to play, then you first have to establish yourself as a person who can offer a good game experience in a way that other GMs don't. Instead of offering a modern, rigid campaign which requires the consistent attendance of a particular group of players, 
a strategy that increasingly fails by the way, you should offer an open table. Offer a gaming session on an open table. I described this approach back in episode 3 on Rediscovery and Roots, so you can always go and listen to the section on open tables there, or drop by the show notes so you can go read the Alexandrian's Open Table Manifesto for yourself. I'll put a link there. Once you have, say, a cool dungeon adventure to offer and you're willing to offer it to anyone who's interested, then you can patiently go and recruit players to the table. Established players are vulnerable when their regular GM's game falls through. And that's inevitable if they're still using the modern default approach to organising a game. Sooner or later, players itch to play and they will consider your table just to scratch the itch. Yes, they'll bitch about the system, but they won't be able to deny that your game is being played. Consistently. Because it's an open table. You can recruit new players too. Anyone interested in role-playing, or fellow listeners here, folk who want to get back to the table. Both these groups of potential players will appreciate the virtues of the open table. They don't have to commit to anything. They can come and go as they like. The game is fun and easy to learn. They can make a character in under 15 minutes. There are new faces at the table each time, giving them a nice social buzz. And you, the GM, are available to schedule a game at the drop of a hat because you're using tried and tested game structures that limit your creative and cognitive load. Just set up some sessions, maybe a mere two hours at a time to begin with, and see who you can get to the table. Maintain a positive attitude. Be patient. Trust in the wisdom of the past. After all, if you like those older games, then surely you want to play them in the way they were intended, right? Step three is optional. Step three is to set up an online game. Start an online open table. I say it's optional because not everyone wants to play online. Heck, I found it a difficult transition and I am still learning how to do it well. For some reason, a handful of players keep showing up to my Saturday night Castles and Crusades game, but I lost a lot of good players along the way. Online gaming doesn't suit everyone. That said... If you live in a small town and there are very few potential local gamers, online opens up a whole world. Literally, the whole world. Or, at least, it opens up those parts of the world which have compatible time zones with your own. If you want to play older games, use steps 1 and 2, but this time, you can directly target the OSR crowd. The specific subset of players and GMs who play old-school role-playing games is fairly sizable. In my experience, most of the guys who GM will come and play happily. To sweeten the deal, ask for support. Consider setting up a game and asking other GMs to come and play so you can get some practice as a new GM. Ask them for feedback. Play in their games. Learn together. Those are my suggested strategies for getting existing gamers to come and play in your older game system. Offer to GM. Offer an open table. Start small and build a group around your interests. Outperform the other GMs around you by offering a consistent game that uses the best game structures in the hobby, be it a decent dungeon crawl, a challenging hex crawl, or an intriguing mystery. What you can offer is a game that is low on commitment, fast on play, available frequently, and a lot of fun to boot. To finish, I just want to offer three additional words of advice. One, Stop dissing other game systems. It just pisses people off and gets you into pointless arguments. Instead, to help avoid one true wayism, consider talking to people about the cool game you are offering. Focus on the positive, 
the next session, the fact that anyone can come play, and telling the stories of the good times already had. Two, consider trying a game of the latest shiny shiny, such as D&D 5e, so you can infiltrate a group. Get into a group and learn from the GM, but also meet people at the table whenever you can. Join in one-shots online or at conventions. Once you have found a person you enjoyed gaming with, invite them to your table. No commitments needed, remember, but invite them to come and join your open table. 3. Stop thinking about the game session as being about a specific group of people. Allow the people to be fluid. Focus on the game session as providing a positive game experience for whomever comes to your door. It's a subtle shift of focus, but it's a vital shift nonetheless. There you go. Start offering knockabout open table sessions of your favourite game system. If you make it, and if you deliver on the game experience, trust me, they will come. So, how do you build a session worthy of these experienced gamers coming to play? Most gamers have beliefs about what a dungeon game is like. Some myths that they use to beat old-style gamers over the head with. I used to do this myself, so I know. My core critique of Redbox D&D was that it was too gamey and had bizarre quirks that didn't make logical sense, such as the fact that rules as written in basic D&D only a thief or a wizard with the knock spell can open a locked door. This is, of course, just bollocks. <laughs> it is always being the purview of the game master to ignore or alter the rules as written. Do not be intimidated by the rubbish that established gamers spew forth from their place of ignorance. If it helps, remember that they either have never tried older games or, if they used to play them, they have forgotten the good stuff. They don't know how much fun these games can be. Psychologists will tell you, people have a negativity bias, so they'll notice things they don't like. Do not let this phase you. Smile and nod. Listen and take note of it. Deal with it later. If you need to, ask them when they last played the game you are proposing. When they proudly tell you they have never played it, nod and smile. Oh, okay. Would you like to give it a go then? Once they are sitting at the table, show them how good your favourite game can be. If it was me making my first foray back to BX, I'd make it a five-room dungeon. Oh yeah. That's exactly what I did at the school back in July. I followed that up with offering a pre-written mega dungeon. Run as an open table, these dungeon crawl games are a lot of fun for everyone. Run the rules as written and keep it simple. Make note of anything you don't like or find clunky. Change that stuff between sessions if you need to. Over time, you'll develop a set of house rules, but the first game is not the place for this. A good tip if you're using BX Essentials, is to have the booklets at the table and let the players use the classes and equipment and spell booklets. They'll get curious, flick through, comment on how basic it all is, but they'll also comment on the art or other points that intrigue them. Just smile, nod and be agreeable. The goal is not to convert people to the system, it's to invite them to the table. Get them wanting to return to the table. The game is just the vehicle for the good experience of exploring a dungeon or solving a mystery. Here's the truth. When you roll up characters in 15 minutes and get playing, it'll have an impact. 
when they do a fight in about a quarter of the time it takes a modern game like 5e, it'll have an impact. Be agreeable and positive. Make sure they get the treasure or solve the mystery. Win the game, basically. Let them chatter about it at the end. Remember, people have a negativity bias, so they'll notice things they don't like. Smile and nod. Listen and take it on board. Deal with it later. If they talk about the cool moments, listen carefully. Encourage them to talk about how they felt. From there, it's all about asking if they want to do it again. Invite them back. Keep it open. Today we've discussed the more common reasons for playing the latest editions of role-playing games. From the shiny object effect, through the faulty logic of it ain't broke so why fix it, and out into the temptations of the power fantasy, we've recognised the mammoth task required to get people to change game. My proposal is that you play to the two things that all players need. Firstly, you offer to GM for them, because there are far more players who want to play than there are GMs. Secondly, you make it an open table so that you remove the requirement to commit to a regular gaming slot. Gaming online is an additional option. From there, I've shared a bunch of tips on how to make the first experience of your alternative game system appealing. I hope that does a fair job of answering Mike's original question and also informing the wider group of listeners here on how to begin to apply some of the principles I've been harping on about in previous episodes. This is my second stab at the question, but it won't be my last. I wanted to ask you a favour. Getting this podcast off the ground has been a lot of fun, but I'm not too sure whether I'm hitting the mark and answering the questions you still have. To help you get back to the gaming table, what questions do we still need to answer? Can you leave me a message and tell me your answer? You can easily leave me a voice message. Just download the Anchor mobile app, search for Roleplay Rescue, and tap on the Messages button to leave yours. Thanks for your help. Remember, this is about building a community of discovery together. Will you add your voice to the conversation? Hi, Jay. Colin at Spike Pit. Really enjoyed your episode, your bonus episode, where you interviewed Ted. Online gaming, for me, has revolutionised my play. It's been difficult in the past to find face-to-face groups. I do have one with my brother and most of my kids now, but traditionally it, it was a real headache and you tend to just get playing one campaign. With online play, I've sampled different games, meaning systems, and I've met quite a few people in a short space of time. I'm currently playing in four different games. But I haven't tried out Fantasy Grounds, and following on from your episode, I think this is something I'm going to look into. It sounds really excellent. So, um, with regards to your podcast, mate, yep, really enjoying it. Keep up the good work. Bye. Colin, great to hear from you again. I always like it when I hear your dulcet tones on our phone in. It's fantastic. Thank you. And thanks for the thumbs up. I'm really glad that you enjoyed the chat I had with Ted. 
Um, it was the reason why, really, I hooked up with Ted and, and decided to have a chat with him. We, we wanted to talk about online gaming more. Lots of people asking about it, and I kind of wanted it to be a way into that. I think we're going to have to do future episodes on a little bit more about online gaming, um, and especially on Fantasy Grounds as, as one of the, I think, best options out there. But, yeah, thanks for the calling, mate. Brilliant to hear from you. All the best. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Roleplay Rescue. I'm Che Webster. I'll be back next Saturday with another episode. Game on.